With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. Eric, I don't know if you can see. Yeah. We, got a little, we got a little game winner pulled up. Yeah, Dirk, nice look in the corner. Air ball. Heady <laughs> yeah, play. <laughs> Somebody goes up, and they beat the Spurs. And this is a way. This is a way to introduce him. We welcome in a man who does it all, and I mean all. We got sports, we got entertainment, we got media, we got game winners, we got construction. This man scored 3,780 points with six organizations over a nine-year career. A man who is a fan of Wind Down Wednesday. He is living his best life, whether he's at the gym, at a bar, on a boat, taking pictures with friends. We welcome in Eric Strickland. What's going on, man? Guys, how are you guys doing today, man? You, you've got a great name yourself, so <laughs> already off. you just didn't add a K, but it's all right to that. Man. You know what? My parents weren't fancy enough. They they thought a C was enough, but I got to be honest. I, I've always been jealous of people that have the K at the end. Definitely yeah, a little no, bougie. <laughs> for inviting me and um, just look forward to uh, what you guys are want to discuss today how'd how yeah. that feel to have a, a game winner on tim duncan <laughs> well uh that was that was pretty exciting at that time uh being that they um you know they, they were the best the, team yeah defending champions yeah oh in that in that in that time and so you know it was just i just wanted to position myself in order to have an opportunity i was i was i was basically naked you know nobody was around and Dirk don't normally miss like that, but that was a young Dirk, you know, a young, young, yeah. young, Dirk, you know, in that, in that situation is a little bit different, but than the older Dirk. So Speaking, I just wanted to be just in case. You know? All right. All Speaking right, of well, that, that was a young Mark Cuban too. What was that like? Cause he's like yeah. an electric owner and a young owner. He was making noise. And I think that was his first season taking over, right? Yeah, that was, um, that was that first, the first season that he took over. He, he was a phenomenal guy. It was a little bit different back then, you know, the, the engagements that, you know, we could have with owners, the things that they could do with us and for us and so forth and so on. Um, you know, it's changed now. You know, you've got these different rules of, um, you know, uh, basically they anything that an owner would do outside of what your contract states, you know, they can get in trouble for these days. Whereas back then, you know, Mark would hang with us and, you know, he would do some some things that was legal back then, but you know, <laughs> never do. Whereas, like, we'd be on a road trip or something like that. This is how, you know, he got to know us. And we'd be, like, in a Phoenix or, 
Miami or New York or L.A., you know, cities like that, he would tell a certain group of us, you know, if it was L.A., he'd tell like A.C. Green, me, uh, maybe uh, uh, Nash and Finley and sometimes Dirk. And and uh, we would stay a night. The extra, when the team went back on the plane, we'd stay and we'd kick it with Mark. Oh, man. Jeez. And he'd fly us, he, he would fly us back on his G5, you know. And so to be able to do those types of things in some of those cities with your owner, you know, it really brings a bond. And, uh, you know, they could never do that now, but we definitely used to do it back then. Oh, well, man, well, yeah. Before the social media and all of that transparency. Well, Eric, I want to rewind to the beginning because what I like to do is start with the early years. Now, you were in Opelika, Alabama before moving to Nebraska and having a stellar career at Bellevue West High School. And I think stellar is an understatement because at Bellevue West, you start in football, basketball, and baseball and were the 1992 Prep Athlete of the Year. You earned all state honors in all three sports. I didn't even do one and led Bellevue West basketball team to three state Three straight state tournaments, including a runner-up finish in 1991. How did it feel to be good at all of those sports? And, you know, how did you balance it? Well, well, to preface it, yes, I was born in Opelika, but um, my dad was a military officer, so I did live in a few other places before I ended up in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So that that is a quick caveat, but that's great research on your part to know that part. But uh, nonetheless, um, I just loved, I, I just loved competition. So in whatever aspect of, of any game, no matter what it was, I mean, if it was on the playground out in, you know, in elementary school, if it was on the soccer field out there, you know, if it was running track in, in, in the little field days, I wanted to win. So I wanted to be the best at anything I competed in. And so I always wanted to do it at the highest level. And, and I applied myself, even though you're doing three different sports, I just really, you know, took the time and, and put the energy and the extra time to be able to be the best at it, you know, whenever I, I stepped on the field or the, or the court. So, um, it, 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 I mean, it, I think when I look back on it, it's really wild. You know, it's, it was really a wild ride, but I was a weird kid. You know, I was a kid that was looking at collective bargaining agreements and stuff like okay. that. When I was growing up and so that helped me to make an assessment as to where I wanted to you know to apply myself and that ended up being basketball okay all right and and you know to finish out your your high school career I mean you finished all time second all time scoring in Nebraska class a history um, Mr. Nebraska high school sports hall of fame and this caught the attention of college scouts as you attended University of Nebraska finishing a four-year letterman starting for three years in addition you won Big Eight Freshman of the Year in '93, and a three-time All Eight, All Big Eight Defensive Team NIT MVP, giving teams that Big D energy. Yeah. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that you were actually selected in the 31st round of the 1992 MLB draft to the Florida Marlins as an outfielder. Now you kind of touched on this a little bit because you played a lot of sports, but when you were in high school and college. Was there a sport that you were leaning towards more or did you go with the one that you thought gave you the best chance to make it professionally? Because I heard you say that football was your best sport. How come you didn't pursue that? Um, that's a great question. And I'll quick caveat the baseball situation as I, as I answer. Um, baseball, 
happened only because I didn't hadn't played probably since my freshman year. And it ended up happening because my coach was like, Strick, you know, I know you're not playing football, but I think if you play baseball, you'll get drafted. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> but then I ended up hitting like 583 or something crazy. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. Having a crazy season now. Then like, you know, there's probably 10 or 15 scouts came up to the school. Uh, but the Yankees basically said, you know, they wanted to take me in the first round, but I would have to play only baseball. So that's how I ended wow. up first because the Marlins said, hey, we'll take you 31st and you can do both and we'll pay for your school. So actually, I'm the I'm probably the, the greatest walk on in Nebraska history because they didn't I didn't they didn't have to waste a scholarship on me at all. So that's a little caveat, a little backstory that a lot of people don't know. Now, um, the reason I ended up choosing basketball is because I, I, even though I loved all of them and football was my best, I kind of had like a little shoulder impingement, uh, you know, the AC joint separation. Mm-hmm. And my quarterback at the time had just left to go to Nebraska. So I began to weigh out the pros and cons of me being an all-stater coming back to a team that doesn't have the same makeup. And I knew they would probably kill me. I'd probably have to play quarterback, running back, <laughs> back, linebacker. I'd probably have to play everything. And then as I began to look at, you know, the collective bargaining stuff, and I knew that at any time my contract wasn't my contract. So I, I started to focus more on basketball. And I felt that basketball gave me every aspect of the sports games that I loved. It gave me the physicalness and, and, and the abilities to read and react. Of, of football it gave me the cerebral aspect of what it entails for baseball baseball is so cerebral you know there's so many games that are being played depending on where the ball is hit and there's so many things that you have to do and be thinking of based on where that ball is and where it goes and where it's hit and what type of hitter it is that you're always got to be thinking of that stuff so that cerebral aspect and i felt that basketball allowed me to apply all of them and to be able to do a piece of all of them. And so that's why I looked, I felt I loved basketball more, even though it probably wasn't my best sport. I mean, you made the right decision because although you weren't selected in the 1996 NBA draft, you caught on that, as a free agent draft, with the Met. That draft was, could you, could you, could you understand why? <laughs> that, that draft was pretty loaded. Yeah. They say, yeah. some people say it's the greatest draft of all time. One of the best ones I would venture to say top to bottom. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your question. Oh, no. I was going to say, you caught on as a free agent with the Mavericks. How did Dallas get to you? Um, so, you understand the, the time that we were in. Um, it was a transitional time, but yet it was still a time of tradition. Meaning, if you were a certain size, you were, you were either a point guard. If you are you know... If, You're 5'11", and, you know, ties Edneys and all those types, right? But for the most part, if you were a certain size, you were point guard. And if you were, you know, 6'4", to, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", yeah. six, six, with a certain skill set, you were a two guard and, and vice versa, you know, so forth and so on. So um, I was just a player. I wasn't a point guard. I wasn't a two guard. I was just a guard. And so the, the issue was, is when they looked at me and they assessed me, they said, well, he's not a point guard, he's a two, he doesn't shoot the ball. So they say, you know, 
well enough to, to play that position. So, you know, we're not going to take him. And so I ended up playing in some summer league stuff and I played with the Pacers and I, I think I played with Jersey and I happened to have one scout that saw me named Ron Aker, who was with the Dallas Mavericks. And, uh, you know, he called me and he said, listen, Strick, um, we like you. Uh, we want to bring you in for veteran camp. And I asked him one question. I said, hey, listen, if you bring, if I do come to camp, because I know sometimes they'll bring people to camp because they just want bodies. And I said, look, I, if I come to camp, will I have a legitimate opportunity to make this team? And he said, I did. New coach, um, Jim Clemens at the time, who was leaving Chicago, was a new coach, new ownership, uh, Ross Pro Jr. And so there was nothing guaranteed. And they had to, I think they had to cancel like three contracts, guaranteed contracts to keep me, almost $2 million. So that's that's kind of the story of that and how that ended up panning out. I just stuck to Jason Kidd like white on rice, like fly on, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that's that's yeah, basically that's... how I was able to attain myself. It goes back to what you said, you know, defense was what I saw was the way to get me in. And I just wanted to do it at the best and the highest level. And that's interesting that you mentioned that because at the time it was very positional basketball. You're it's you're six three or and under. You're you're point guard. You're super point guard. And and if you're a little bit bigger, you you were a guard because you didn't you weren't that that lead point guard. But you you were a hooper. You played. You did everything. And just to kind of put all that together, uh, your first four seasons were in Dallas. But that ninety nine two thousand year was a special year. It started. You played thirty minutes a game. You had career highs and. 13 points per game, five rebounds, three assists, 1.5 steals. You could hit the three. We knew about your defensive ability. Um, but this would be your your last season in Dallas, and it appeared that you found a good spot in the rotation that was utilized by Donnie Nelson. Um, how did this season feel for you as a professional? Well, you probably in that in that 2000 season, yeah, that that was a phenomenal season. Um uh it felt good, it felt comfortable. Um you know, Don Nelson and, and the group, you know, I, I sat down with them. They said, hey, we want we want you to, you know, stay. And, um, you know, I was going and doing pre-draft stuff, you know, for the team and interviews and all of that, talking about players they're looking to bring into the, to the team and so forth and so on. And uh, had a great season. Um, I think what there was, there was kind of a crazy dynamic going on. Don Nelson, obviously, he was the, you know, GM coach. Yeah, uh, but I think there was a little stuff going on between him and Little Donnie. Yeah, and Little Donnie seemed to have gotten seemed to have gotten close to Mark, and you know they obviously they brought Steve in, and you know the crazy dynamic was you know I was a starter, Steve was the backup, you know at yeah. that time, and um, so I think Little Donnie wanted to make room for Steve, which is okay. I, you know, I think I think. The thing is, if they would have had a conversation with me, they would have found that it would have been no problem. I would have been like, sure, I don't mind Steve starting. Yeah. Uh, but they knew I was a competitor and I don't think they wanted they don't want they didn't want Steve to have, have that that um you know, looking over his shoulder type of deal. Yeah. You know, having to deal with, with me every day in practice is not an easy feat, you know, because I'm 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 just a killer, you know. So you know, I think they just wanted to kind of get me out of the free one of the greatest. And, you know, I mean, should I, I think when we played him when he was in Phoenix, you know, I gave him 36. And so those are the things that they were looking at. So they, they felt I had to move. The city, you know, really liked me. But, um, 
it, it was just one of those unfortunate things. It was one of my best years. And, yeah. and, and when you have a coach that's back and you, it makes it really does. Yeah. Dumb, and, dumb, um, well, yeah. And th 36 was your, your career high. And it, it does seem a puzzling because I, I feel like you, you played well with, with Steve, you could play with Mike uh, Finley, like, because you're just a guard, you can kind of fit around those players. You're accustomed to coming off the bench. You knew the team, you knew the, you know, the star players, you know, Donnie, well, it just seemed like, you know, that, that you could have kept going with it. But then, you know, how difficult was it to kind of hear the news that you, you're getting traded to the New York Knicks and they have Latrell Sprewell and Allen Houston are playing, you know, 38 minutes a game at basically at your positions. Yeah, you, you kind of broke up on the last part of it. Um, I was but, just explaining how, di how difficult I, it was to go from the fact that Greg Buckner. Greg Buckner was uh was there also yeah. and they addressed him in the second round. And so the thing with Greg was they felt that he was a similar type player that I was, who could do ver you know multiple things. So they, you know, they felt that it would be easy to kind of just just get rid of me and hey and they get more value. So I, it, that's that's kind of how that was, and it's okay. I mean, it, I think the hardest thing for me was the fact that here I am. You know, I, I I was with the team when it was in the mud. It was the worst. You know, time for the team. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears, and you know, taking all the L's. And you're seeing yourself now turn the corner, and um, now that you're turning the corner, one of the problems becomes. Um, um, you know, you want to see that come to fruition. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All the stuff that you dreamed about, you now want to see it happen. And unfortunately, it, it just didn't. And, you know, I went to a good New York team. That was cool. But then, you know, to know that you would be going back to the playoffs, you go to, the, you go to Vancouver, who's at the bottom of the barrel at that time. And, and then, um, you know, found myself going to a good Boston team. And that made me happy again, playing with that Boston team. It was really fun. It was a yeah. great group of guys. So. And I have, a, I have a question about that because um, that was a very, very, very good uh, Boston Celtics team that doesn't really get mentioned in the, in, the, in the history books as much. But if you were watching, it was just the most pivotal thing. And that was the 2001-2002 season. Um, you played with Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, both in their in their their young primes. Uh, Kenny Anderson. You made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You're up two games to one. Can't, game three is an incredible comeback uh, led by Paul Pierce, but it was that that game four where it appeared that momentum shifted as Paul Pierce had a chance to tie the game up at the free throw line down 94-92. He came up short. Um, how close did it, it feel uh, that you were about to be in the championship in the NBA finals and what kind of, how, how a crucial moment, how does that impact the morale of the team? Well, I, I think, I, I, I think it was hard to, to maintain because that team wanted to make another run at it and they kind of broke us all up. Yeah. So, you know, when Danny came and, and he kind of just, you know, split that group up, which, you know, we could have just added some pieces and really kept made another run at it. But obviously they, they wanted to do something different and they ended up, you know, paying for it for a few years and then ended up getting it back. But I would say one of the other uh, one of the other things was was, um, you know, Coach O'Brien 
And I think this is, I would venture to say this was a great learning experience for, you know, I bet if he looked back at it, he would do it differently. You know, so, you know, he felt he had an opportunity to, to acquire Tony Depp. Um, you know, he kind of found himself out there free. And, you know, obviously he coached at Kentucky. So obviously, you know, he knows Tony and they have a relationship yeah. and some history. But, but the issue was, is that without Tony, we three won in the series. We three won uh, New Jersey, uh, three to one. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, me being able to handle Jason Kidd because yeah. Jason is, he's very, he's great in the, in the, in the open floor, in the half court, he's strong in his post-ups. Um, he's tough to handle, but you know, physically that's what, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a problem for Jason because yeah. at that time you, your physicality made a difference. You can do that. So, and he was a bigger so, guard. He was one of those big, big point guards and you needed size to match up with him. And it's right. funny you mentioned Jason Kidd because on that play before Paul gets gets fouled and goes in the line, they have a play with 17 seconds. They get the ball in the inbound. It's in Jason's hands from 17 seconds to nine seconds. And I think there's a rule called a five second rule. You had two people on him to make sure he gives up the basketball, which is a smart defensive tactic. Of course, you guys talked about it in the huddle. Get it out of his hands. Make somebody else try to make a play, but he holds it. And of course, a, a savant like Jason Kidd, he's going to make the right pass. If you if you're allowing him to hold it for eight seconds, how did you guys feel on that? I mean, obviously can't blame things on the refs, but that's just an unfortunate situation. Yeah, yeah, and, and there was a lot of things that was unfortunate about it, um, but you know, it, it 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 hurt more more so that they didn't you know take into account what we accomplished because at the beginning of the year, all of the sports. You know, radio shows, talk shows, publications, they were saying we're going to be, you know, 12th, 13th in the East. We're going to be at the bottom. And we looked at that and we took offense to it because we're a bunch of guys that just had chips on our shoulders. And we, we were like, screw you. You know, and then mm -hmm. the fact that Paul had just went through that situation where he just recently he had got stabbed and they didn't know yeah. he would be available, you know, for the season. And which was remarkable in 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 his re recovery and return yeah. to get back to full shape in the year he had. So um, that was, I think was probably the most disappointing aspect about it. But other than that, man, it, that was, that, I think that reinvigorated, that reinvigorated my love for the game again is playing with that unit, that group. Who, who really yeah. I, I kind of put them up in the one uh, two Kings of great teams that unfortunately did not win at all. I was going to ask if you knew your career high. I like that you already knew it. 36 against Phoenix, March 11th, 2000. I just want to wrap up your career real quick because you had brief stints with the Pacers, the current champion Milwaukee Bucks before calling it career. But Eric, you're involved with Cerebro Sports, which yep. is a recruiting service that helps basketball decision makers find better players faster using player evaluation metrics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company and your involvement with them? Um, so the initial aspect of, uh, Cerebro started, um, by what we call ePlay. And so ePlay was the initial, uh, name of the, of the company. And we started off as an app and an app that would be able to just kind of, uh, bring in data. We felt that we can go to 
a lot of different, you know, AAU tournaments, pull all this data together and be able to use that information to do, as you just stated, help people to make better decisions than just with your eyes. You and I both know that with the eyes, you, you can only see so much. You may miss a John Morant who's in the back, you know, you know, Jim 14 back there yeah. killing everybody, but because you're watching Zion Williamson and, you know, you're watching, you know, uh, uh, you know, the likes of those types of players, those top tier players in courts one through seven. And then all of a sudden, you know, John Morant's back there giving people work. Well, if you had numbers and you had information, you had data, then you can find out that there's a kid that's back there somewhere that's putting up the type of numbers that you're looking for. Um, and so then when we took with what we did with Cerebro is we began to, to, to realize that archetyping was, was a gem. So archetyping players so that you now can find the player that you're looking for. You and I both know that every player is telling the same team that they're going to, you know, they're telling five and six teams that, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then you end up missing him. And then you end up settling for a point guard out of there, which really you already have a point guard. So now he's frustrated and he jumps in the tra transfer portal because he's frustrated thinking he's going to come in and have an opportunity. And he don't because you were the third choice of, of, you know, uh, of the board. So what we try to do is say, okay, you missed him, but there's one like him up in New York. There's one like him in, in Wisconsin. There's one like him in Jersey. Now you've got three to choose from with similar archetypes the numbers may be a little bit different. One may do something better than the other one, but you're still going to at least have an option to find the same player that's outside of your recruiting pipelines. That's outside of your recruiting touch. So you can still go and send somebody now shooting a sniper rifle as opposed to shooting a machine gun, hoping you hit. Right. So that's kind of the that's kind of the concept between by, by behind Cerebro. But I, I'm an investor. I I, I invested. I was a part of ePlay when it when it started and it first engaged, but you know then it kind of shifted into Zebro. So I, I'm I'm a I'm a behind the scenes investor, and uh, you know they use me whenever they need. Eric is keeping up with the times. That's awesome. We're talking with Eric Strickland, Eric with a K at the end, nine year NBA vet, the man that never has any boredom in his life. Eric, we like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire. Some this or that questions. You might have not been asked some of these before. You game? Yeah, go ahead. All right. The first one. Would you rather hit a walk-off home run or hit a buzzer beater? Oof. Starting think, out hot, right? I think a walk-off would be phenomenal. Because you 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 hit that baby, you know it's gone. And all you do is you just flip, you just flip the bat <laughs> and just 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 take that little stroll. I like I, I like that because you know, the game winner, you know, boom, you hit it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it's over. You know, everybody maybe runs on the court, says, hey, and you run into the – with that walk-off, you flip that bat and you take your little whatever stroll that is, you make that thing and you take it all the way on in, baby. That's I, I like that. I had a feeling you're going that way since you've already hit, you know, game winners in the NBA as we saw at the beginning of the show. Um, I had a question. You played with some Hall of Fame and some great players in the NBA. What's the best five that you played with during your career? Coach Lewis, I don't know why I keep hearing you broken up. Eric, are you hearing that or is that just me? No, I, I could hear it. He said, what is the best five players you played with during your career? Oh, okay. Uh, of course, Dirk Nowitzki, 
Um, Paul Pierce. Uh, Reggie Miller. Reggie. Um, let's see. Reggie. Jermaine O'Neal. Nice. And Steve, Steve Nash. That's, that's a solid five right there. Jermaine I O'Neal see you and in- Michael Finley kind of have a little, they kind of have a little, you know, they could go one, one or two. Right. And I like how you picked a full center, power forward, a small forward, shooting guard, point guard. You went with a whole team. What's the craziest thing that Dennis Rodman did in your presence? Um, <laughs> all right. So with Dennis, the crazy thing with Dennis is I think one time he had got a foul or something. He went and sat down. Are, you, are we saying on or off the court? Either. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, yeah, so Dennis, one time, um, we were <laughs> – no, that was probably too that, – that's probably too nasty for TV. Um, <laughs> so Dennis was funny in that he had the ability, unlike anybody on our team, to change the dynamics of your, your schedule. So with Dennis, we used to have, like, we would go, we'd do our shooting – we would do, you know, come back in, you know, get your scouting report stuff, and then you would you would be able to get on the get on the board and work that over. So Dennis would be lifting weights and he'd be doing all kinds of other stuff. And right before the game, he'd be in the shower and you know, so we wouldn't get to our board doing our board stuff until like, you know, uh right when we're about to go out. So it just totally changed the schedule. And then one time he got a foul or something. He sits down, crosses his legs right middle of the floor, and gets a tee. And yeah, it, it was literally like if we would have had the Bulls, Dennis, we would have we probably would have made the playoffs that year. We oh, lost by like ten games, but we had the like I think we had like the best record tied tied with the um, with the Lakers. All right, for the All second right. half of the season. So yeah. So so we got some non basketball ones coming up. Eat broccoli with every meal. Or watch an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians every day. Broccoli. Okay. All right. So no Kardashian okay. for you. I love it. I love it. You there? You yeah. Yeah. Uh, no Kardashians for you. I like it. I was asking, what's the name of your high school crush? <laughs> My high school crush? Say it again. What's What's the name of your high school crush? What's the name of her? Oh, shoot. Uh. I think I was crushing myself. That was the crazy part. I was <laughs> feeling myself. I don't know if I had. <laughs> I don't think I really I had a, a crazy crush. Uh, you know what? There was probably. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I don't think I really had a crush. That's I funny. All I was, I, all, you know, talking to who I talked to back then. All, all <laughs> state all three sports. He's feeling all himself. All I yeah. like it. All right, what's your favorite alcohol to drink? Okay, my favorite is, I would have to say, uh, I'm a wine guy. So okay. I, I, like Pinot, I like Pinot Noir. All right, Wine Down Wednesday. The last one. Would you rather have a bell go off every time you're horny or never be horny again? Oof, bell go off. <laughs> Ding, ding, Every ding, time. right? Every time. That, oh, that man. Well, Eric, we really appreciate <laughs> you joining us. Um, before we end, 
Is there anything that you want to plug? Anything that you're working on where people can find you? Uh, I mean, you, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not really on Twitter. Uh, but my IG is Eastrick2020, and then Eastrick20media. Uh, I have two different ones because I do more stuff with my media on the other one. And then, uh, you know, Eastrick20 at Twitter. Um, my Facebook, CerebroSports.com, Global Sports, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Global Brain um, Center.com. And uh, those are the places where you can really find me. Well, make sure you follow him and stay tuned because more interviews coming up.